You can open your Bibles or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to mention a couple of words from Luke chapter 2, but the bulk of our uh, lesson comes from Matthew chapter 2. I think one of the best days of the year is when we're leaving on vacation. Well, I mean, once we get there and get the car unpacked and get everything put up, you know, it just there's something about we're going on vacation. Um, and one of the saddest days of the year is when you got to go back home. You know, it's just, oh, man, <laughs> you know, because it's not that you don't want to go home. It's that you don't want to go back to work and you don't want to go back to, to quote, the real world. And I think there's a lot of people who feel that way about Christmas. Uh, hopefully you've had a good Christmas season. It may have been challenging. It's been challenging for a lot of people. But overall, I pray you had a positive time and you'll be able to look back at this Christmas and, and it'll bring a smile to your face that you had uh, a good time. You built some good memories. But in a few days, you're going to be packing up the Christmas decorations. I almost preached on Boxing Day today. In fact, I thought I was going to because today is Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. And if you study... Um, whatever the internet has to say, I'll go ahead and give you a mini sermon so you can say, oh man, I wish you to preach that one. But um, there, there are two possible origins to Boxing Day. One was, in those days, we talked about it when we talked about the sermon on Christmas lights, they had real trees and they had candles on the trees. Trees, you know, dry out. And Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, was the day when they boxed everything back up and kind of, quotation marks, put Christmas away. You know, that's another one of those dreaded days. It's time to put up all the decorations. Some say that's the origin of Boxing Day. Others say that it was because the wealthy caste in those days, their servants had to work on Christmas Day because, you know, they had to feed their people, you know, their food and clean their house and stuff. And so the day after Christmas was the day when, uh, you know, the Lord and Lady of the Manor gave their Christmas boxes of, you know, their bonuses and gifts and things to their, to their servants. And in churches, they would have a box uh, as you left the service that you would put money in to give to the poor. So, you know, both of those will preach because you can't put Christmas in a box and you can't put Christmas up. And we need to make sure that we're treating people well who take care of us. Uh, so that, that's Boxing Day. And, and, you know, I don't know that you're going to start today putting Christmas back up. But over the next couple of weeks, um, you know, I keep telling Donna, you know, Epiphany is two and a half years away. It's okay to leave Christmas up that long if you want to. But, you know, they, 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 you, you start to put the decorations back up. People start taking down the lights from all around their house. Um, the radio has already stopped playing Christmas music. All of the decorations from the house. And you walk into the house, and, oh, the house is kind of gloomy and the neighborhood's kind of dark. And some people have a post-holiday sadness or depression set in. Back to the real world. Christmas is over. Back to the real world. But if Christmas is what we say Christmas is, when Jesus came into this world, and by the way, I'm going to throw this out to you in case you had a question, because I saw a survey of church people 
that a majority of them did not know that Jesus was alive before Bethlehem. So in case you wonder, Jesus, God's son, lived from all eternity, but Christmas we celebrate his birth as a human coming into this world to be our savior. And if that's what Christmas is, then it ought to make a difference in our lives. And we shouldn't be able to put it in a box and put it back in the attic or out in the garage or wherever we put, quote, Christmas. Now, some of us maybe never left the real world over the last couple of days. There's a lot of people that had to work the holiday weekend. But if you get back to the real world, wherever that is and whenever that is, our lives ought to be different because of Christmas. And I've been thinking about that over the last two or three days. You know, what what difference should Christmas make in our lives? And I began to realize that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, after they saw either the baby or the child, they had to go back to their homes. And Christmas was over. And boy, they celebrated Christmas for real, you know? The shepherds saw baby Jesus. The wise men saw the child Jesus. And, and they were there. But they had to go back home. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, after the shepherds saw Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, they returned. Now they returned glorifying and praising God for what they'd seen and heard, but they had to go back home and they were still shepherds, and the job was still taking care of stinky sheep. Christmas didn't make a difference in their job. The wise men, we think, probably traveled at least about five months to go see the child, and then they had to go back home. And when you read the scripture, it seems like almost within a matter of hours, in Matthew chapter 2, after the wise men are warned by an angel, don't go the way you went to. It says they went home another way. They went to their country another way. Then it says the angel appeared to Joseph and said, you got to move. You got to take the child and his mother and you got to go to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill him. Man, they didn't even get to go back home. They had to go someplace they had never been. So I want to look at these three groups of people and what happened to them and then ask ourselves what should be different about us when the Christmas holiday is over. Can we maintain our Christmas joy? For it, many people in our community, the, the real world invaded Christmas early this week. You know, we've had what, a three-year-old child killed in a traffic accident. There's been all kinds of sadness in our community. And so there are challenges to maintaining our Christmas joy. The wise men faced some challenges. They were the last group to see Jesus. And, you know, he was probably about 18 months old. And uh, they come to this house where the child is. They came from an environment of skepticism and intellectualism. You know, they're called the Magi. Probably, we think, from a place that back then was called Persia, which is now modern-day Iran. 
They were probably astronomers. They studied the stars. They were probably very wealthy. And they came from an environment where everybody questioned everything. <laughs> I remember being in college, and the, 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 the important thing was to see how impractical your questions could be. You know, it's like, and man, we had some intense discussions in the dorms about things that I look back at now and say, man, we thought that was important. You know, but, but that's kind of the environment the magi, the wise men were in. And they sat around debating the configurations of the stars and the planets and what they mean. And, and these men, and we don't know that there were three of them. We say there were three of them because there were three gifts, but we don't know that. And we don't know their names. That came out of a movie, too. But somehow, these wise men were different. Because somehow, they knew about the king of the Jews and his star. We have seen his star, and we've come to worship him. They were Gentiles, but they knew he was the Messiah. They brought him gifts, which is where gift exchanging started. But then, after they had seen him and worshipped him, they had to take that five-month trip back home and go back to those skeptical, questioning peers of theirs and try to convince the skeptics that the Messiah had come. I wonder what the discussion around the water cooler was when those guys got back to work. Well, what was this king of the Jews like? He was a child? What do you mean you went to see a child? Did he at least do magic tricks? You know, who is this person that you went to see? And they had to face that kind of questioning. Probably like you do sometimes, you know, at your work. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you not do some of the things that the rest of us do? And, and why won't you cut that corner? And why won't you tell that little lie? And, you know, and, and, and we're put on the spot because of our faith. And, and we have the privilege then, if it's the right time and place and all that, to talk to them about why we do the things we do and why we don't do some of the things we don't do. But the wise men had to face that when they went back home. The shepherds. You probably know that the shepherds were basically less than second-class citizens. The only people in society lower than the shepherds were lepers. If your son was a shepherd, you didn't brag about that. You know, this is my son, the doctor. This is my son, the attorney. Don't you have another son? Well, he's a shepherd. You know, you know it wasn't something that you bragged about. They, because they lived out with their sheep. So, you know, sheep are pretty dirty and smelly. The shepherds were pretty dirty and pretty smelly, and, and they were looked down on by society. And, and in fact, the, the religious leaders of the day said that if you're on a trip and you see somebody in a ditch, you have to stop and let them out of the ditch unless it's a shepherd. If it's a shepherd, you can leave him in the ditch. That's what people thought about shepherds, which is wonderful that that's who the angels came to tell about Jesus, right? It, it wasn't the high and mighty. It was the shepherds. They go to the manger. They see Mary and Joseph and the babe, but they had to go back to work. 
They were still shepherds. The sheep were still smelly. Wolves still were threatening. Raiders were still looking to raid their flock for some mutton stew. At lambing time, if they didn't have enough twins born, they had financial problems. All that was their reality. And when the heavenly choir of angels show up and they go see the Messiah, they're still shepherds. And when they come back home, when the shepherds returned, the sheep are still there. And they haven't magically, you know, transmitted into cute little bunnies or something. You know, they're, they're still shepherds. They're, they're still sheep. They're still challenges. I would imagine at one point they said, let's go back to Bethlehem. You know, it was nice around the manger. Let's go back there. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they're up there on the mountain with Jesus and his face is transformed and then Moses and Elijah shows up. Good old Peter. He says what we all wish we could say. Let's just stay here. Let's build three houses, one for each of us, and let's just stay here. But Jesus says, no, nah, man, there's some humans in need down at the base of this mountain. We got to go back to the real world. And they get down there, and you remember there's the man with the demon-possessed little boy. See, I had somebody tell me one time, somebody who was brand new to church, tell me, it must be so nice to just live at church all week long. I thought, oh, honey, if you only knew you know, what goes on at church all week long. But, you know, we, we, we have that human temptation to just want to escape, quote, reality. And we can identify what it's like to have to go back to make a living at a job that maybe we don't particularly like, but, but it's there. Um, and and it's, then you get the bill from December. <laughs> you know, that's the scary one, right? When your bill shows up in January, oh my, I spent a little bit more than I intended to in December. And, and we, it seems like you have to work longer and harder just to break even. And, and we wonder what difference Christmas makes. That's a, that's a real challenge to Christmas joy right now. Then you have Joseph and Mary. The Messiah lived with them. Surely if there's any way to escape problems, it would be to have Jesus in your house. Uh-uh. They had to move twice, actually, to keep Jesus safe. It would be nice if Christianity would give us immunity from trials, but that's not the way it works. So then what's the difference? When we go back home again, when, when Christmas is over and the carols have stopped being played and the decorations come down, what should be different? Society isn't different. Culture isn't different. The change has to be in us. So what I want us to talk about today, all that was just introduction. What I want us to talk about today is the Christmas gifts that we've received because of Christmas that make up what I'm calling the ingredients of Christmas joy. Because if we want to maintain our Christmas joy, we have to know what makes it up. And it starts with a new view of life. Longfellow wrote, I remember my dad quoting this all of the time, life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returneth, was not spoken of the soul. You know, we, we have a new view of life. If God cared enough 
to send his son into this world to live life on this planet, then life has purpose. If God cared enough to send his son into this world, life has meaning. Because God does not make it a habit to engage in meaningless, purposeless experiments. If the word became flesh, then your life has meaning. You have meaning. I have meaning. Don't let anybody tell you that you are worthless. Don't let anybody tell you you don't matter. You are worth enough for God to send his son into the world to die for your sins so that you can go to heaven. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you ever wonder whether God loves you, if you ever wonder whether he cares about you, stop by a manger and remember he did this for me. Life is real and important and meaningful and significant even in the midst of the routine because Jesus came into this world. And Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, I've been doing a lot of eating to the glory of God the last couple of days. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Then you can find purpose and meaning in your life. Second, Christmas joy is made up of a new perspective on our work. And that's what I've been alluding to when I talked about the shepherds. The angels could have appeared to anybody, but they appeared to the shepherds. And you remember what the scripture says when they appeared? As they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. You know, probably the hardest part of their job was at night. And they're having to do this. Decades ago, <coughs> Michael and Stormy Omardian wrote a musical called Child of the Promise. And one of the songs in it is called Nothing Ever Happens to a Shepherd. And these are the lyrics. It's cold outside in this God-forsaken place, and we're stuck here with a thousand sheep. While life is exciting for everybody else, the highlight of our day is sleep. It's lonely out here in this isolated job. Our position is without esteem. We're socially challenged. We're society's scourge. We're not exactly every woman's dream. Shepherds have a humble purpose. Of our fate, few people care. Sometimes I wonder if God knows we exist. If he does, he's forgotten where. Nothing ever happens to a shepherd. Life is boring as can be. While exciting things occur all over the world, nothing ever happens to me. Yeah. And then, right, the angel of the Lord comes. But maybe you feel the same way. If God knows you exist, he's forgotten where. And you wonder if your work matters. If the shepherd's work matters, your work matters. While they're busy at work, the angel of the Lord appears to them. And it's a fascinating study when you study the prophets of the Old Testament that many of them were called to serve God while they were working doing something else. God loves to show up at your work. Um, understand, and I know you do because you hear me harp on it all the time, God has us where he has us to be his witness where we are. And I know in our society that we have to be really careful. And I understand all of the HR issues. But God has put us where he has put us so that we can let his light shine through us and we can make a difference 
in the workplace. You all know people that when they show up, everybody goes, oh man, I was hoping they were sick today. You know? but, but let's be one of those people that when we show up, he goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You know, you, things are better when you're here. Things are more positive when you're here. Let's be those kinds of people. Now, <laughs> I was thinking about this and I thought, how do you do that over Zoom? You know, I don't quite know how you do that over Zoom, but God's able to, to work over Zoom too. But the, the point that I'm making is let God work through us in whatever environment we live and work, whatever our work is, whether it's at home, whether it's out there, wherever it is, let's allow God, who appeared by the angels to the shepherds, to appear in our jobs too. Our job is our ministry. Let's use it for his glory. Third Christmas, joy is made up of a new confidence in God's help. We've talked about this already. He, he experienced what we do. He lived as a human, tempted in all points like we. Somebody put it this way. Jesus knew the frustration of having a younger brother. You know, I mean, he, he knows what it's like to live life. And my, one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, when it says we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. I love that. He is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. I remember uh, one of my long-term care facilities visiting with a man. He's a cool guy. I loved visiting with him. And he was battling increasing dementia. And he was in the middle of a sentence and he just lost it. He couldn't remember what he was trying to say. And he looked at me and he said, Chaplain, I wish I could get my brain to work. Now that's a feeling of weakness. Jesus knows the feelings of our weaknesses. And so the Hebrew writer says, come boldly to the throne of grace because he knows the feelings of your weaknesses. And we, when you can't do anything else but weep or groan and say, Oh, Jesus, he hears that. And he's touched with the feelings of your... I'm so glad you don't have to articulate your prayers grammatically correct for God to know what you're feeling and what you're saying. But Christmas joy starts with a new commitment to Christ. That's where it all begins. When we recognize that that baby born in the manger is the Messiah, the one who came to pay the price for our sins. We've talked about this. You might want to go back if you're watching online and find our sermon on God's justice and righteousness because his justice demands that our sin is punished. But his justice also allows for a substitute to pay that price. And Jesus came as that substitute to pay the price for our sins. Say John 3.16 with me, because that's what Christmas is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Christmas should mean to us, a new commitment to Christ. Because you can't maintain Christmas joy if you don't have Christmas joy and you can't have Christmas joy until you know Jesus. We really ought to edit the last verse of A Little Town of Bethlehem. 
because this is how you begin to maintain your Christmas joy. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. Having said all of that, how can we maintain our Christmas joy all year long? Because I hear somebody saying, you don't know my job. You don't know the mess I'm in. You don't know my boss. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my parents. You don't know my children. I lost my job during the pandemic. My hours have been cut back. Inflation is way more than my raise was. Everything is uncertain. How dare you, preacher, talk about Christmas joy? Appropriate question. In the early, early days of my ministry, I read a sermon by a man named Hugh Litchfield. I have no idea who he was, but he wrote a sermon that has stuck with me for many, 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 many years. And in that sermon, he made three statements that I believe are essential to our maintaining Christmas joy. Statement number one, there is suffering in the world, but there's also a God who comes to share it. Remember again, Christ is not born into privilege. He was not born at the palace. You know, the, you can't blame the wise men. We're looking for the king of the Jews. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the capital because that's what they were looking for. But that's not who Jesus was. They find him in a manger. His earthly father's a carpenter. He faced what you and I do in our lives. He wasn't exempt from human sadness. He wasn't exempt from suffering. And, and I talked about this last week, but I don't think we have any idea the suffering that Jesus felt just by being on this planet. Because he created it perfectly. He saw everything that it had made, and behold, it was very good. But then Genesis 3 happened, and sin came into the world, and the world that Jesus came into was not the world he created. And by the way, if you ever have somebody say, how can a God of love create a world like this? He didn't create a world like this. He created a perfect world. We've done messed it up. And, and he came into this world, and he faces the suffering like we do, touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. He knows how you feel when you lose your job. He knows how you feel when your friends desert you. He knows how you feel about those events in life that cause you to stay up at night. He knows that, and he's come to share it. So again, come boldly to the throne of grace. He is there, and he knows what you've experienced because he's experienced it. I told you last week, Christmas is not slow down and smell the roses. Christmas is slow down and smell the manger, smell the barn. He came into the real world. The second statement Litchfield made is, yes, there is uncertainty in the world, but there's also a God who helps us face it. Aren't you glad you don't have to face uncertain times by yourself? I mean, sometimes, let's be honest, it's hard enough with God in our lives, but trying to do it on our own? I mean, I mean, put yourself in Joseph's position. Just about the time, you know, Jesus, maybe 18 months old, he's starting to toddle around the house, and Mary and Joseph are having fun, you know, with their new baby, and everything's great. And then, oops, got to move, because Herod's going to try to kill him. 
And you got to go to Egypt. What, Egypt? My forefathers spent 400 years in Egypt trying to get out of Egypt. I got to go back there? Where would I live? I don't know anybody in Egypt. How am I going to live? And by the way, uh, a lot of scholars think that probably the way Joseph was able to finance that period of time in Egypt was because of the gifts that the wise men brought. And probably the gold, you know, that he was able to use that to pay the living expenses. Because you see, God knows ahead of time what you're going to need. Oh, that's, I need to say that again. God knows ahead of time what you're going to need. And as you get into the new year, God knows ahead of time what you're going to face. In fact, the, the word we use, Jehovah Jireh, God our provider, literally translated as the God who sees ahead of time and provides. God knew what they were going to need. But would Herod follow them to Egypt? Does Herod have some kind of an understanding with the political leaders in Egypt? And, and are they going to turn Joseph and Jesus and Mary in? They lived with uncertainty. I can't imagine that, living with that level of uncertainty, knowing that somebody's going to try to kill your child and, and you're not sure you're safe. They lived on the edge of uncertainty but they also lived with God. And you maintain your Christmas joy when you remember that in the midst of our uncertainty and in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We cannot afford to be out of touch with reality. But the biggest, most important part of reality is that God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you may feel like you're getting close to the end of the age. He said, I'll be with you always. The third element to maintain our Christmas joy is to remember, yes, there is death in the world, but there is a God who overcomes it. I have read that swaddling clothes was a term that was used of the process of involved in embalming a body after death. And if that's true, then in his very infancy, in his first outfit, he is picturing that he came to die for us. He faced death on the cross because he loves us. He conquered death to assure us not only that he was God's son, but to assure us that we can conquer death too. Donna loves that song, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. Because she was an English major and she likes it anytime she can get by with saying ain't. But, but, but there's a line in that song that says, if he came out of that grave, I'm coming to. You know? and, and that's what Christmas tells us. That yes, there is death. There was a time a few years ago where it seemed like every Christmas I was doing at least one or two funerals Christmas week. And the first time that happened, I thought, this is a terrible time. Well, I mean, there's no good time for a funeral, but this is really a rough time for a funeral. And then it was like the Lord said, Wilson, what do you mean? This is Christmas time, man. Because Jesus came, we can, yes, weep at the tomb of a loved one, but it's mixed with the hope of knowing that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins, to face death, to be raised from the dead, and to give us the hope of resurrection 
and a reunion. That's Christmas. Yes, there's suffering in the world. Yes, there's uncertainty in the world. Yes, there's death in the world. But God became flesh and lived among us. We call his name Jesus because he's our Savior. We call his name Emmanuel because he is with us. And I believe that the key to maintaining our Christmas joy is to hold on to that. Jesus is alive, and he is with me, and he will be with me all the days of my life. So we either believe the Christmas story or we don't. <laughs> and if we believe it, even in the midst of all of the hardness of life, it ought to make a difference. Deep, deep down inside, way deep down inside, that peace and joy that comes from knowing God loves me. He proved it at Bethlehem. He proved it at Calvary. He proved it in the empty tomb. And he's with me. And he's never going to leave me. Now here at Open Door, we're closing by listening to a song by the Irwins called Unspeakable Joy. I think Chris Tomlin probably put it together. But we're going to listen to the Irwins version. You can find it. The link will be in the comment section uh, on, on uh, whatever social media platform you're using. And uh, we're going to listen to the Irwins version. It's a blend of joy to the world and unspeakable joy. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace and his joy now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas again.